If you watch 60 Minutes and you own a home, then you just got nervous. The FBI's former head of cyber crimes warned homeowners that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home. That's right. Hey, look, they do everything online, believe it or not. That's because home titles and mortgages are kept in databases that can be hacked. If you have equity in your home, here's how they're going to get you. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home as collateral to borrow cash, and stick you with the payments. No bank or identity theft program is going to protect you. You need Home Title Lock, America's leading title and mortgage guardian, for pennies a day. Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. Listen, if cyber thieves tamper with it, They're going to mobilize to help shut it down. You may already be a victim and not know it. Here's how you're going to find out. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register for a free title scan report. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. You're going to get that $100 value free, that title scan report. It's important. Sign up today. HomeTitleLock.com. It is party time, Mom. Welcome back to Studio 22, another episode of the Chad Prather Show. We're reeling these things out this year. Listen, we have been uh, – I always say we're doing too many. And I know people, they'll send me messages and they say, oh, we, we, it's hard keeping up. But I'll tell you what, the faithful folks, they, they catch up with these things. So we're doing four a week. We're doing Mondays through Thursday evenings. We'll see what happens. I don't know. The powers that be, they keep telling me we've got to do four episodes a week, and here I am. I know how to run my mouth, and so that's what we're doing here in Studio 22. If you're watching this on Facebook, head on over to YouTube, search Chad Prather, subscribe, hit the little notification bell, and get them over there if you want to watch them. Otherwise, go to where podcasts are offered, which is everywhere, and download them there so we can keep track of the analytics and the numbers, and we want to make sure we are keeping count because we're capitalists and we love advertisers. Hello. Welcome to America. Over in the driver's seat, the starship captain himself, the puppet master, Mark, hanging out. Hey. Dude, is that the only shirt you own? I mean, you are, you just. <laughs> I had a psychology professor at the University of Georgia wore the same shirt yeah. and the same pair of pants every day. I think it was a psychological <laughs> experiment. He probably had a closet full of just blue button-ups yeah. and, and <laughs> yeah, khaki pants. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, we'll tape these episodes, a bunch of them on Mondays. Yeah. So I think I probably just happen to wear this shirt on, like, Mondays and Tuesdays exactly. more than I do other days of the week. So every time you see me, I'm in, like, so the, you know, the So that's shirt. why this shirt that I'm wearing right yeah. here, I found these shirts, and I like them. And so I just bought, like, ten black ones. Yeah. And the, but this one's got mustard stains on it and stuff. There's like, look at this. There's stuff oh, falling off of me. Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, you really need to do a better job mothering us and making sure that we stay straight. I can only do so much. You, you do know? a lot. I mean... If I'm like picking out your guys' outfits, I think <laughs> so. we need wardrobe. Yeah, you would need wardrobe. You know who needs wardrobe? Party foul, Steve. That's look at this guy. Yes, I you wear, do. I wear the latest shirts of. When you look at Steve, when you look at party foul, don't you just think of a little kid? Like he's got his little hair tucked under. He's got a little tuft of bangs that stick out below his baseball like cap. Little league. Yeah, he's like a little boy. He's like a fifty-year-old little boy. 50. I'm not fifty. <laughs> I'm 48. He's working on it. I hope you make it to 50. I'll make it. Man, our livers may quit after this last trip that we just went on. Wow. Woo. Living on a prayer. Yeah, we were, man. (laughs) I'd take my liver out and hit it with a hammer and put it back in. It's like Gary Coleman, black, small, shriveled up and dead. (laughs) It's terrible. I know. I know. Sitting over here in the hot seat, my buddy. uh, You know what? He's the author of a great book. Listen, I read these books. I I read them. We have so many guys that come in here, authors, and the guys who lived it and experienced it. The book is called Echo in Ramadi. Scott Husing, USMC retired, came out as major. This dude, he's a Mustang. That's what we were just talking about. So you yeah. enlisted. You enlisted, then got out, went to college. I did. And came back. Yeah. So I barely squeaked out of high school yeah. to, to preface that. This is not a true confession. I, I always like to throw one true confession out during the show, but uh, barely made it out of high school. Had a smoking hot 1.24 GPA. I know that feeling. 
You got that beat? Can you beat that? Anyone? Can anyone beat that? Party fall, Steve. I don't. I think you got me beat. Listen, so. dumbest guy Scott, in the room. By the way, my dumbest no, guy. No, by the way, Scott, <laughs> as we know, party. Everybody knows this. Party fall, Steve was a marine. Uh, yes. He had a choice. The judge said, "You, can... <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. True story. I'd yeah. probably yeah. only spend a year in jail. <laughs> That's not bad. I you mean, that standard. Probably. Yeah." So anyway, this GBA. yeah. So enlisted in the Marines and uh, went to Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and then soon found the errors of my ways and uh, the value of a college education. Went to Illinois State, and I don't say that to brag, you know, but they only let us select fifty or sixty thousand every year at Illinois <laughs> State. But look, man, I, seriously, I was just happy to go to college, and, sure. and I say that jokingly, but the discipline that I received as a young Marine as a young 18, 19-year-old kid and going through all that, really set me up for success in college. I did much better in school, graduated in three years, and then still felt the need to serve and and be connected with the Marine Corps and give back. And that's what led me into a commissioning program to become a second lieutenant and held all the right billets of responsibility and the right jobs. And then some 15 years later as a captain, that's kind of where the story picks up as I was thrust into Ramadi, which was literally the deadliest city in Iraq because, it, you know, n- not hyperbole. It, yeah. We lost more Marines and soldiers and, and sailors in that city than any other. And it was uh, really the pinnacle of my career to be leading men and women under those types of conditions. But also it, it really redefined what we knew about fighting, uh, just the, the sheer intensity and how dynamic the battlefield was during the surge at the at the peak of the insurgency in 2006 and 2007 when we flooded that battle space with an additional yeah. 20 30,000 troops. Let's so let's go back. So you enlisted in 89 and that that was right there that precursor leading up to Desert Storm which was what 91? Yeah, 91. Yeah. And so you go in you you're in Kuwait and you're dealing dealing with this encroachment in Kuwait and that's one type of warfare. That's one type of thing that happened because we went in there and, and dealt with that. But people were enlisting. People were joining the military. Then I think with a different motivation and, and different reasons than, say, post 9-11. Because now post 9-11 comes along and a lot of guys are like, well, it's time to go kick some rear end because we've yeah. been attacked. And you have it, the, the nature of warfare and what was going on. Because then it got down and dirty. It got face to face, hand to hand. It wasn't we're going to you know launch, you know, knocking down Scud missiles and things like that. So you wind up in Ramadi. Well, yeah, the 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 difference in you know from what was a more conventional war in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, to what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan, which are two completely separate. bowls of fruit when we're talking about the dynamics of warfare but in iraq with the insurgency was you know you you had this small group of insurgents that literally lived amongst the people so we're fighting day in day out five six seven times a day i mean you literally set your watch by you know how often we'd be fighting and these insurgents that were hell bent on you know promoting their hateful ideology and using the people of the city as literally human speed bumps that just got in their way to promote their ideology to suppress the city you know these these things that i wrote about and the things we experienced they weren't urban legend the the, the kidnappings the the rapes the beheadings the the using children as human shields when mm-hmm. we were engaged i mean this is what we experienced day in and day out so the type of, of warfare compared to Desert Shield, Desert Storm, you know, I, I don't say that to diminish the the fighting that was done at, in, in that time, but it was vastly different from what we experienced in Ramadi. And I always say this, too, so there's never any confusion to any of the veterans that are listening or, or tuning into this show. I, I don't say that I'm the voice of veterans. I never mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. Um, I have a certain capacity to share my story and that of my Marines, and it's emblematic of what a lot of guys did. But we weren't the toughest, badass Marines that ever walked the face of the battlefield. I'm sure there's plenty more that fought harder than we did, that lost more Marines than we did, and suffered and sacrificed as much, if not more, than we did. And and I never say that we did, did more. But I think it's important to share this story about the Second Battle of Ramadi because I never wanted that to get 
washed under the other great battles, the right. Fallujahs, right. the Kandahars, the Baghdads. So I think it's really important. And, you know, although the book, you look at the covers, this badass Marine looks like he's going to kick your door in and do bad things to you in the middle of the night. When people ask me today what the story is about, I say the core message is the power of human connection. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, there's the fighting and the friction and the excitement, but there's so many stories about leadership, team building, overcoming adversity, and people. The, the hundred interviews I did with the Marines and soldiers mm-hmm. and the families of the Marines we lost and that we continue to lose to veteran suicide, those had to be told. And I, I shared those, but I also shared a little bit of myself in there too, because as a writer and as an artist, you can understand this because we were talking about the shows. You got to let people in to yeah. really have that type of authentic nature and, and not just be one type of person or the other. So I thought it was really important for me to share a little bit about myself. Mm-hmm. And that took a little bit of prodding too. You know, my editor kind of had to kick me in the, in the ass and say like, Hey, there's not enough of you in this. Yeah. I don't know if you ever get that. How yet. much of that, how much? So I'm one of those guys that I tend to become way too transparent. But again, we're not talking about what you dealt with and what, because we all have that private life. We all have that sense of self that we want to protect from the general public. But with you and I and I've and I've talked with enough veterans, I've talked with enough guys who've done the stuff and and been in the thick of it. And you know that one at least my takeaway is these men and women have such a sense of community and a lot of times have a hard time identifying themselves once they get away from that community, yeah. once they come out of the military or it's done. And they've, it's, you know, as, as our buddy Jacob Schick calls it, uh, the, his tribe, you know. And so you have, you have these guys who they, they have a hard time finding that identity. And so sometimes it's kind of hard to let people in, you know, and, and, and deal with, you know, uh, Chad Robichaud, our good friend, um, Force Recon Marine, you know, eight deployments to Afghanistan and now runs Mighty Oaks out in, in, uh, Arizona. And it, they have a beautiful program because if they bring guys in that are dealing with things, these warriors are getting help from other warriors, and that's what makes sense. And I, I can see where it would be harder and harder based on what you've experienced to want to let yourself be yeah. seen. It, it, you know, the other the other thing, too, is uh, I say this a lot, and I'm kind of getting – I kind of find a new way to say it, but I, I use the words capacity a lot yeah. because not everybody has the capacity to share their story. Yeah, And I feel fortunate that I am able to do it. And the reason I am is because I looked at so many great guys like Herschel Woody Williams, Medal of Honor recipient, mm-hmm. young 20-year-old kid, flamethrower and Japanese enemy on Iwo Jima. And he's 95, man. Mm-hmm. And I asked Woody on our podcast, I said, how do you do that? How do you share that story for 75 years? Can I can I still tell this story about mm-hmm. the bravery and sacrifice of my guys and the families seventy five years from now? I, I hope so. I mean, ninety five. He's still yeah. dedicating Gold Star monuments every yeah. single week. Ninety five. He's yeah. kicking gravity in the teeth every day. I love you, Woody. <laughs> I mean, he he's amazing. Yeah, what he's doing. But to be welcomed back in to the to the tribe and find that sense of connection, I think by sharing and by having that capacity to share the stories, I think a lot of the guys in the this the veteran space who are artists and entertainers. One of the guys who really has just owned that is a good friend of mine, Rudy Reyes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if you know, Rudy's recon Marine actor, generation kill HBO. He's doing great things for the environment. Now he's a philanthropist, but he wrote a book which came out years ago, but it's, it's called hero living. And in that he talks about being a hero. And there's so many guys in the veteran space that transition, they say, oh, I'm no hero. The guys that didn't make it back were heroes. We have really hard time because we're almost so humble to a fault. Yeah, And, and I I wouldn't ever write that in my book to say I'm a hero because I don't view myself as that. But he, sure. there's a lot of things people do in life that can make them heroic. And Rudy talks about that as not kicking in doors or, or saving people, but it's those everyday things, those little things you do. Yeah. And I, I will put you on the spot, too, to say you are. And, and you didn't have to serve in the military because we don't own words like service and sacrifice. Everybody right. in this room, Candace and everybody that set this up that are, are part of this, Steve, <laughs> who's back there supporting, by sharing these great stories of our veterans, which you've done a ton, man. Just look at a guest list on 
sure. Chad Prather show. You're part of the solution. You really are. And I, I thank you for that because it, it's it matters to yeah. me. I appreciate that. You know, we and, and you we've talked about it. And I, I, a lot of times people will think that I'm a veteran because we are so outspoken about veteran situations. Just do some push-ups. We'll see. I know, right? Like, <laughs> good luck. Chad, Chad stopping at four. Good four. luck. I, I, I like, can do down dog. Like Bill Murray in stripes. Like, not Marine Corps push-ups, Army push-ups. <laughs> I can do upward dog. I can hold myself up. Put a Big Mac with extra sauce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Steve likes talking about my Big Macs now. Look, that's me, yeah. my only addiction. Uh, my wife, she just got into this uh, training regimen a couple of months ago. She joined this class. Now, my wife is an athlete, but she's never been like a fitness person, right? And like, she's a great athlete. And she'll, she'll wear you out in volleyball, basketball, all this stuff. But, oh, my gosh, she's never been a fitness person. And all of a sudden now she's eating clean and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, who are you? I don't know you, woman. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you're looking good, but who are you? So, anyway, um, it put a real cramp in my lifestyle, to be honest with you, Candice. Because um, <laughs> you're eating healthy things? Oh, yeah. I don't Kale. Know. I'm like, baby, you do it. Because y'all know me. My weight's like this, like this. And I'm the only one who notices it, and I don't care. But, anyway. But no, what we said a long time ago, my wife and I, is we said um, whatever platform we have, we want to use it for those that made us, gave us liberty. And, you know, there's there's active duty military folks, men and women, and I always say we live in the greatest country because we got men and women willing to put on a uniform every day with the willingness and the purpose and the intention that they could possibly be given their lives sacrificially for our liberty. And that's a great thing. And so we've tried to use our platform and our voice to do that. And uh, we'll always tell those stories because you're right. We, we've lost a lot of good men and women. Um, we've lost a lot of them to, to uh, PTS and to veteran suicide and these things. But I love seeing the success stories. I, I, lo- I love it when somebody can come back and write a book like this and be vulnerable and talk about what you went through. Because you went through hell, quite honestly. And, I mean, you know, this was an absolute bloodbath. And you led men and women through this and to be able to tell that story and do it eloquently. And then you have guys like Rudy and you have guys like uh, Remy Alecki and and these guys who can go out to Hollywood and keep telling the story and build a platform to tell the story is I really appreciate that. So, you know, it's it's our little bit of just trying to use a platform to do it. Yeah, I think that we're in a new a new era right now of these these veterans being able to break into this mm-hmm. uh, and one of the things we're doing through our network and you know, for those that you know these meetings don't just happen it's again the network jason piccolo with right. the protectors podcast and i think we were introduced by you know rocco vargas and mm-hmm. hey Vinny and pete turner on the break it down show which i co-host and just sharing the network and yeah. not saying oh well you can't talk to chad like you know no, we we share names and contacts and emails. We never soccer mom stuff because that's how important it is for us, especially in the in this entertainment industry mm-hmm. that these stories get told and building a coalition of military artists and veterans and also talking to these young guys who are coming up through the ranks mm-hmm. that your story has value and not giving it away for free. Yeah. And I think a lot of times these young veterans will enter into deals and they get they get burnt because people promise them some things and then they take their story and people run with it. And we're really cautious. And as a leader in this industry, I'm very cautious of that. And, and I love giving guys advice that reach out via email or, you know, they'll send me a text message and say, hey, you know, what about this contract? And I'm no lawyer, man. I, don't have, I didn't go to law school, trust me. But uh, I have people that will do that for free. But helping those guys because this industry – you know, I mean, this looks like yeah. cozy, cozy little back, yeah. back room at Chad's house, but this is a massive complex here, and it's big business. And I like sharing that aspect with guys too. If you're going to get into this, is it has value, and you need to realize that. And guys like Rudy and Remy and you know Vinny and Jason, and all these guys are just doing phenomenal things. And I th- really think they're they're kind of path finders and trailblazers for yeah. this this new generation, which which I like. Yeah. I, I always, I always, you know, I go back to the example of Jesus telling them to throw the net out there and they're catching all these fish and the net's breaking. And it's like, you know, how strong are the knots in the net? That's your relationships. That's your network is, is the relationships are those knots. You got to make sure you tie good knots because if you're going to pull things in and, and do it as a team, then the net can't yeah. break. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a phenomenal thing. And that's one admirable thing that you do 
among many is is that you're willing to promote these other guys, and that's the thing because it doesn't take anything away from you. What is it? No, it, there, there. Yeah, wh- how does that hurt me? Not at all. I yeah. love doing it. I, I think that again at the beginning and the end of every day, if I'm helping vets, that's what makes me happy. Yeah. And uh, whether it's promoting someone else's book, reading someone else's stuff, giving a blurb, saying someone else's podcast, if they, you know. I, I mean, how does that hurt by 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 talking about Jason? It doesn't, man. That's that's what makes us yeah. great, and that's really what it's all about. And uh, it, it it's phenomenal. And there's so many other great ways. And and a portion of the proceeds of my book go to my nonprofit. I'm the executive director of Save the Brave, and we help vets mm-hmm. with post traumatic stress. We're the only West Coast nonprofit at Save the Brave taking veterans offshore fishing in California. If you can believe that, like we're the only guys doing that out of four hundred fifty thousand. Yeah veteran nonprofits that are registered with the IRS. That's what we do and we're crushing yeah. it. We're doing seven trips this Isn't year. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I, I mean, you, you hear about things like that and you're like, well, of course there are folks that are doing but there's not. Yeah. You know, there's so many unique ways to be able to serve that community. And that's savethebrave.org, right? Savethebrave.org is yeah. how you can find out a way to help vets and, and donate, become a sponsor, volunteer, go to savethebrave.org. Yeah. We're doing great. And that was started by one of my young door kickers in Ramadi who we saw the need for bringing guys together in a safe space and allowing safe them to spaces. heal. Yeah. Safe spaces. This is a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> the Prather Studios, yes. Yeah. Put on like your I safety pin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Nick Velez is the president of Save the Brave and uh, also a successful businessman. He owns Bastards American Canteen in Downey, California, which is affectionately named after our battalion of the Magnificent Bastards. Magnificent Bastards. Yes, yes. And uh, just... Could not be more proud of that that young man now. I want to say kid, but he's you know thirty one yeah. years old now. But just just crushing it. But again, we do this all voluntarily. We don't take a salary of any kind. We do it all to help veterans yeah. with what we do and bringing them home, letting them heal. And you know, you, you get out on the water and you, you probably love to fish like the next guy. But yeah. once you hit the channel markers, man, that cell phone disconnects. Done. You have to connect. And that's what we really love is bringing these guys together. And we're not out there floating around telling a bunch of war stories either. It's not like the VFW, nothing against VFW, but, you know, it's not a bunch of old gray beards sitting around getting boozed up and just saying the same old tired war story because that's not what helps guys. The connection is what helps guys. Connection really is the cure. And there's no pill. There's no vaccine that the VA can shoot you up with that's any better and getting these guys together in a safe space and connecting. Yeah. And that's that's what we love to do. Well, let's talk about Ramadi. Let's talk about these magnificent bastards. Do it. Walk us through this story. Well, we were a Marine Expeditionary Unit out of Southern California. And when we got deployed, we set sail to the Middle East without knowing we were even going in country. We had been training for months and months on end. And... Once the surge strategy was ordered by President George W. Bush and General Abizade at the time, they said, we're going to commit the theater reserve, which mm-hmm. was the Mew. It's 2,500 Marines and, and sailors that are specially trained, and we go from ship to shore. So they pulled the trigger on that. They sent us in, and what happened to our unit of those 2,500, we were spread out all over Iraq because at that time, the best analogy I can use is this insurgency in Iraq had become this giant game of whack-a-mole. So the insurgents would pop up in one city and we'd hammer them down. And then they'd go to ground and they'd ooze out and they'd pop up in another city where there was less resistance. So now we had this surge strategy where we flooded the battle space with an initial 20,000 troops to really hammer down on all of those pockets of resistance. And for us, for our company, we were sent to work for the Army in Ramadi and that just happened to be the time and place where they decided to really stand toe-to-toe with us and fight. So here we are embroiled in this in this bloody battle in a city of over 300,000 people, and these insurgents are hiding amongst the people. And that's what made it so difficult was you really didn't know who the enemy was. Right. I mean, obviously the guys that were shooting at you were bad, but when you're going house-to-house, door-to-door, street-to-street, going through people's homes and, and rooting through their lives, man, I mean— Looking back at it now, you know, with a little perspective and, and wisdom, you know, you think about that, man, sitting in your in your house and it's 3 a.m. and all of a sudden a squad of Marines kicks your door in, starts going through every drawer, every closet, 
pulling your furniture out, putting you in a back room or kicking you out of your house because they're saying, hey, hey, hope you got some family nearby because mm-hmm. you're not staying here tonight. I mean, that's what the people of Iraq have had to deal with for the better part of 14 years now mm-hmm. in this war that we're still fighting. I mean, let's make no mistake about it. We're still fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan to, to a lesser degree. But when we were doing that, it, it really kind of blows my mind to think back how brutal the tactics were. And we didn't do it with this callous disregard for the people. It was the only way we could survive in the city because you're not digging fighting holes in the middle of the street and you're not sleeping in the streets mm-hmm. for sure because you had to be protected. And I tell you, if there's a place you ever want to fight a war that was that bad, it was Iraq because they can build some houses over there. They're thick, you know, concrete. Yeah, you know, thick think, walls, think about yeah. getting a firefight downtown Dallas with 7.62 machine guns and yeah. and tanks and rockets. Man, it would be sailing right through drywall and yeah, and glass. This, <laughs> and yeah, this un, yeah, glass. Yeah. So if there, there was a place to fight, it was definitely the right turf to, to be to be fighting. And we were we were fighting day in and day out. And you know, those Marines, the leadership at every level, Chad, was just simply astounding to me because those boys, man. They took care of each other and me better than anything I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for the sheer bravery and the, the love that those guys had for one another. And uh, still do to this day. I think a lot of us still stay remarkably connected and probably through a lot of the shared adversity and, and hard times bring guys together that can do that. But, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, could never have been more proud of those those young men and women that that were fighting. I, I say women too because they were out there as well, and uh, I think uh, it's just a remarkable experience. Yeah, and you guys. So, so the main goal of what you guys were doing in Ramadi was obviously they they stood toe to toe, as you said. And you, you know you, you're chasing these insurgents all over, and like you said, playing whack a mole, they're popping up all over the place, and now it's yeah. go time in, in this situation. I mean, and and, and I'll tell you, I say this in in the most I submit it in the most humble way I possibly can, but I've been to some of these training places. I've been to a lot of forts. I've been to a lot of bases. I've been to a lot of places around the country, and I see these training facilities where they have built these, these you know, the mock-ups. The mock-ups, yeah, like, and I'm like, like, good God, they built a city in here. There's, there's these guys. But now it's, training's one thing. It's another thing when bullets are flying past your head and, and RPGs are coming in and, and all these, I, I mean, it, and you're and people are dying. Yeah. around you and and you guys are in like you said the deadliest city in iraq and how did that whole deal unfold how long were you guys in there well we were in ramadi for a couple months and then we shifted over to western ramadi and then we went over to rupa on the other side of the country so we were kind of like scab labor mm-hmm. for the whole army marine corps team they kind of bounced us around the city Wherever they needed to bring in this blunt instrument of war, which is kind of what our company was, over 250 Marines that we, we weren't there to make friends. Yeah. I mean, our mission. This wasn't was, a Carnegie course. This wasn't. No, a- no. <laughs> I mean, it, our mission was clear. Kill or capture anti-Iraqi forces. Full stop. That's what we did. And to do that, we had to bring everything we could to bear on the enemy, from small arms to tanks to close air support that we had tied in with the army and, uh, you know, rockets and artillery, everything we did. And we made a difference. And and that's something I saw after I wrote the book was I was going through and doing the interviews and I talked to some of the other commanders that I fought alongside. I said, man, is this true? After we left, were they doing like a 5K fun run down route Michigan with the Iraqi people in Ramadi? He goes, yeah, man, that's no, no shit. That happened. <laughs> I said, I thought it was urban legend. No, true. But that was that was really indicative of, of how we turned the tide. And I'm not just talking about my company, but all the soldiers and Marines, how things can change the dynamics of that to take a city like that of 300,000 people where you literally infuse it with all of this firepower and practically kill the city because you're providing security, but... The people can't do anything. They can't yeah. drive. They can't go out at night. They can't open their shops. So then to see it comes back to some semblance of normal for the Iraqi people some several months later really 
if you're looking for a metric of success, that's one of them. I mean, mm-hmm. killing bad guys is another metric. But, I mean, for me, my ultimate metric of success was bringing as many Marines home alive with me as possible sure. at the end of the day. So, yeah. And we, we, we did as best we could. We lost guys. Had a lot of guys injured. But, um, you know, that's really, as a commander, that's the, the true metric of success. If the average person wants to get an idea, is, is, has Hollywood ever done a good representation Yes, they have. Uh, again, Rudy Reyes, I think Jen Kill was a good HBO miniseries. I think the Pacific, mm-hmm. World War II, was a great uh, depiction. I think We Were Soldiers. Uh, Mel Gibson did a good job from the Vietnam era. Vietnam, yeah. uh, all very accurate depictions where they show the people. Again, for me, I like to write stuff about people. It's always mm-hmm. about Chad what do those boots feel like on your feet? How heavy was the hat? Like, I want to know all the details. I don't want to know when you got there or how you got there. I don't want to care. I don't want to report. I want to tell stories that make a difference. And when the motion and the people are in those stories, I think those are always the best. Yeah. I, 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 some people like documentaries and, uh, you know, more facts, but my book is not a book of this battlefield chronology. Um, about we landed at this hour and we we marched north and flanked right and attacked. It's about the people. Yeah. And there's a lot of great examples coming out, I think, in Hollywood that they are given some really good depictions. Uh, I'm waiting for a good one uh, about this war to, mm-hmm. to really to really come of age. But I think that there's been a couple to date that, that really stick out for each generation there's yeah. some that are just miserable i mean I don't yeah i don't want anyone under the bus but. i've always wondered about it. And, and there's and then there's things that just aren't reality like we've talked you know i'm friends with the guys that came back from benghazi and they're like okay read the book there were no cars yeah, exploding was yeah tig show, was it just yeah. on and, and what a redneck did you see him he just had his redneck <laughs> olympic games we were you know this past weekend I, I, I was like bro how did how did it i texted him the other day i said how did it go and he goes man it was great it was fantastic and all this stuff and they're out there shooting off roman candles and pitching toilet seats instead of horseshoes i'm like dig you are the biggest <laughs> redneck i know dude i hope i see him i, I gotta go to colorado springs i'm gonna be at the uh air force academy doing a gig with uh dan rooney from Folds of honor and uh you know tig lives over there so I'm, I'm hoping i can run into him if he's in town but i'm like what a redneck this guy <laughs> but you know tig's funny so we, we i've talked about it with him and oz and, and i'm like okay how'd they do in the movie and they were like it's okay they said you know it, the back and forth is there like jeff kyle hated american sniper he hated that because they made him look like a yeah. <laughs> that was a big part for him. But yeah, are you time stamping? 3133. <laughs> I said, he's got a time stamp it. <laughs> 3139. Yeah. 31, every, every time I go. Oh, is this a note? No, no swear zone? you can do yeah. whatever. You can say whatever you want to say. We just, I, apparently, apparently there are certain words that they have to bleep, but I don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> We're pretty laid back around here. Party time, mom. Um, I'm actually pretty good about not dropping F bombs in yeah. interviews. And I was actually on a podcast where. F bomb is in the title, and I actually kind of had to force myself to throw one out there. Yeah, just for so I did. And my mother's going to be ashamed of me. So Aubrey Huff, that played with the Giants, San Francisco Giants, he's got a podcast called Off the Cuff with Aubrey Huff, and and those guys are ball players. And normally they have pro ball players on there, and they're just this locker room talk, right? So you can imagine these guys. So they had me on last week. I mean, like here I am. You got all these guys, these legendary baseball players, and there's me. You know, just because <laughs> Huff loves me, and so we're we're talking, and I'm like, oh, my mother can never hear this episode. <laughs> Party time, mom! But it was um, uh, my mother always gives us a hard time. Is there a show rating? Is this show PG thirteen? Yeah. R. I don't think there People is. People ask me that. I don't think it's like, too bad. It's a no. podcast. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a fun. podcast. It's a podcast. That's it's the beauty talk. of this medium. Is I love it. It's my favorite you, thing. You can go in any direction. It's my favorite thing. Podcasting, I think, you know, especially in this age of so-called fake news, and it, you know, it's it's an overused term, but it is true. True journalism these days has been lost. So let's just, if we're all just going to give opinions, let's give opinions. Let's let's talk about what's real, and the only way you can do that is bring guys in who can tell their story, yeah. and that's what's real. I mean, like if you watch, again, back to that point, if you watch 13 Hours, you would think there's cars exploding everywhere. Well, that's Michael Bay putting yeah. his spin on a show that needs, or a movie that needs to be exciting. You know, and it is exciting enough. But you know, Tig says there were no there were no explosions until they started dropping mortars on our head. And you got to do that to, to sure make it do. entertaining. I mean, because it's called the entertainment business for yeah. a reason. But yeah, 
the uh, but you know, I've talked to the guys who were you know in Somalia for Black Hawk Down, and I love comparing. You know, what was this? How accurate was this? Um, you know, how how did they depict all these these things? And anyway, that's always fascinating to me here to see, here is this a good like like was Saving Private Ryan truly a good depiction of D Day? Do we not, you know? And I've yeah. heard guys that say it is, and you know, either way, war is horrific, and and I'm somewhat of a I won't say a historian, but I am a student of, you know, Western civilization, and that is man's inhumanity to man. In World War One, everybody thought the world was getting better. Humanism was getting to be bigger and bigger, and people thought they were inherently good. And then they go out there, and you know, ten million Frenchmen alone die in the trenches of World War One, and they realize people aren't good people. There's no, a lot it, of evil out it's, there. It is an adage. War is timeless. And when I yeah. talk to veterans of every era, I think it's it's interesting that the problems I had, the the wins I had, the losses I had, those were shared throughout mm-hmm. history of war. And it, it, it is a horrible thing to experience. And humans create war. And we have to do and see some of the worst things of uh, humanity has to offer and then deal with that and, and, and process all that. And you know, along the way, these the veterans, unfortunately, some people ask them a lot of dumb questions sure. and, and doesn't make them feel welcome back into that tribe. And, you know, if anyone asks me now, I, my answer is always the same, is that throughout my 24 years in, in the Marine Corps and, and multiple deployments, and I've absolutely helped more people than I've ever hurt. Mm-hmm. And that's just the... That, way it is and i think any true warrior who is a professional soldier or marine or whatever they do is that that's the truth because at the end of the day we help people that can't help themselves and along the way we have to do some some bad things to 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 bad people and uh you know that's what we're trained for and and there is a very small percentage that are only capable and and trained and willing to do that less than one half of one percent of the entire american population of over 330 million Americans can do that. And uh, I say that to all the veterans that are listening or watching is uh, your your service absolutely matters. I don't care if you were turning a wrench on a truck or flying a jet or kicking doors in Ramadi. You served. And uh, I will crush guys into fine powerful. I say, oh, I was just a this. I was like, no, yeah, you were yeah, never yeah. just saying anything. I know, I, and I and I learned my lesson a long time ago because I'm always giving party foul. A, <laughs> his, I'm giving him a hard time about, and people are like, "Hey, it matters." And I'm like, "Look, it's a joke." We, yeah, we, we, we I, I kind of make a joke of it sometimes. We travel, yeah. you know, nonstop together, and I'm like, "It's okay. I've earned the right to bust." But I've a deployed bit. with a couple of muse in my time. <laughs> <laughs> you get the t-shirt. I love. I, t-shirt. I love. Yeah. Uh, Bill Burr's got a comedy set talking about you know these guys that talk about injured you know and a disabled veteran. He's like, well. A transmission might have fallen on their foot in Kansas. True. <laughs> and so they're going to say, oh, man. But it's a risky job. It, it I mean, even job. that guy who's got, you know, a rating, you know, like, what happened to you? I fell off the truck. Oh, you weren't blown up in the truck? No, I fell off the truck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. We had Ryan Parrott on here recently last week. Well, just last week, wasn't it? And Birdman, he said, you know, he, he got his nickname because he got blown out of that turret, you know, when they hit that IED and he went flying. Forget it. Forget that his last name's Parrot, but he got blown out of the thing and he flew so far he started calling him Birdman. But that was better than his other nickname, which was yeah, soup and sandwich. They called him sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> there was soup and there was sandwich, and they called him sandwich. But uh, anyway, now I I I, uh, I appreciate that. That's a great point, and you know, because you have people who come home from this, and you used the word a minute ago, capacity. It, it, we we actually having this conversation this morning amongst ourselves about how you have guys who come home. And they have different. They handle it with different capacities. Yeah. Some guys come home with severe trauma, because just like we were talking about, I don't think people are created to be famous. I don't believe that we we're not designed that way. People are also not designed to be put in the middle of battle and yeah. and to test that level of resiliency and that yeah. humanity and death that's surrounding you. That's well, a hard thing. When you when you experience that to all those little pieces of trauma, whether it's death on the battlefield or the loss of a fellow Marine or, or seeing what you do to the enemy, um, you know, you have to compartmentalize that. And we use that word a lot in the military, compartmentalize like yeah. a like a jar. And I use I I love using analogies, you know. So <laughs> like you know, it's like jam, you just put the lid on, you store it away, but 
you know, eventually it's going to fall and break. Mm. And, you know, it's a mess when you have to unpack that trauma. But with the network and people that are willing to bring you into their tribe and support you, hopefully you got some people around you that can help you clean up the mess. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is after I wrote Echo and Ramadi, I went back through and I'm looking at the names of all the Marines and soldiers that I interviewed. And I thought, God dang, man, they are so young, 18, 19 years old. And then I put it in perspective. I was a 35-year-old captain that had multiple deployments, had been to combat several times, and had a lot of life experience. Mm -hmm. But the things I was asking Sergeant Prather to do, I, I didn't see the 18 year old Chad, mm. I just saw Sergeant yeah. and the things I was asking him to do these superhuman acts day in and day out in the face of great danger surrounded by complete uncertainty. I never realized that until I wrote the book and I thought, man, how did they process that trauma yeah. in comparison to me? Because as you age and mature, I mean, I don't think most of the young guys are, are frontal cortex is even developed fully and this is what they're tasked to do day in and day out and you know i don't know what your stance is on millennials uh i can only imagine like (laughs) jumping i'll get chat off the rails on this (laughs) i'm a fan yeah for the record because i'm very grateful uh to what they're doing and i recognize the field grade officers these captains and majors and colonels they're millennials Mm -hmm. these young privates and sergeants Millennials, these cops that are patrolling the streets, yeah. millennials, the guy that's going to sew you up when you bust your head open, millennial in the ER. Yeah. So I think they get raked across the coals a lot. I said I've yeah. gone on record numerous times of saying that millennials get a bad rap. They really yeah. do. Now, now there are things about millennials I love to poke fun at, yeah. and that's the entitlement culture. But, again, the guys, and, the guys and gals that are doing that. I think that's in every culture, though, don't you? It, it, it is. And, and ultimately, you can't blame that generation. It's the generation that went before them that enabled yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. As, as a guy that subscribes to the theory as being a leader for life, yeah. is I am so tired of the adage, oh, I walked uphill both way in the snow to school. Yeah. And, man, you can save that. Just save it. Because if you're not teaching – this young generation about your wins and your losses, your successes right. and your failures, you're part of the problem. And, right. and, and this generation, if this country is going to continue to succeed for another 250 years, yeah. that's the message that the Gen Xers have to be teaching to the millennials. Right. I right. absolutely believe that as a leader. And, no, I agree. And as a father of five kids and, and five, that's like me. a whole squad. I know, of Marines, like you know? a bunch of, yeah. like a bunch of, you know, and, and I look at my two oldest, you know, and Candace, I mean, you look at Candace and you look at Mark and these guys, millennials. I don't even, I don't even know where you fall, Mark. You're a millennial, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. What's yeah. the cutoff? 35? Like something. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm, are you I'm 26, Gen Z so. or are you millennial? Millennial. I think I think I'm Gen Z. I'm Gen Z, which I'm impressed. I'm really impressed with this Gen Z crowd. I mean, this this group of kids, because now they're kind of becoming reactionary to some of the entitlement they saw with with the millennials. And so but I, I the point I'm making is I know some good ones. I know some great ones that are out there doing good stuff. So that's why I say they get a bad rap, because if it weren't for uh, this, this actual this millennial generation has really brought some good things. They've really kind of absolutely. Where's the millennial really brought, cutoff in Gen Z? I want to say it's like thirty-five down to like twenty-five or something. No, like it's. That. I think it's like fourteen. I don't think you're For, Gen Z. I, I think, think she so just either. doesn't want to be called a millennial. She's like, I don't want to Let's be. Let's see. Is Gen Z that young? Yeah. They're, they're definitely teenagers yeah, like right now. And below, yeah. Yeah, I think they're they're definitely teenagers. This Gen. Z. I have two Gen millennials Z's, that are serving their country. It gets fluid. It gets kind of yeah. fluid. She's googling it. What you got? <laughs> Gen Z is from ninety-five to two thousand and fifteen. And millennial, I think. 2015, I think I so that's all the way do down to a four-year-old. You got, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't do math in public. Yeah. I'll just go that's with kind of, millennial. Yeah. I'll just go with millennial. That's about it. Yeah, that's <laughs> about a fit. Yeah, you're a millennial. Because you're an impressive millennial. I, I'd, put Candace, I'd put Candace Ortiz up against anybody. And I'm telling you, you know, they whenever whenever we were trying to find a, 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 a you know editorial producer for this show, Candace came along. I didn't know Candace, and, and Candace started working. And then all of a sudden they were like, hey, do we need to interview more people? And I was like, hell no. I'll fight hell. With a water pistol, she ain't going anywhere. If she goes, I go. And here's a 23-year-old girl running my life. And I'm like, nope, she sticks. She stays. And I'm telling you, you, I'm looking at you, Glenn Beck. (laughs) Coming for you, Beck. No, Glenn didn't have anything to do with it. But our guys, they were like, you. And I'm like, nope, this kid sticks around. 
I wonder um, if people are thinking, like, what goes on behind the set here? Water pistols. And then yeah. Chad doesn't really have a southern accent. He yeah. t- speaks yeah. like an academic. There's these esoteric, esoteric discussions going on exactly. in the back room. Like, Chad and Steve are, you know, smoking pipes and have a corduroy jacket on with elbow patches. Yeah. And, like, he throws yeah. the hat and cowboy shirt exactly. on that comes out here. And, yeah. I come out here. I, I, I've yeah. always said I want people to think that I'm just some white he was wearing cro- He was wearing Crocs out back. <laughs> I make him change yeah. before he comes in here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I don't. I don't even think I've bathed this week. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'll put that on I mean, just, look at me. This is what happens when you just don't care anymore. This is the, this is the epitome of the lack of discipline in life. You hit forty six years old and you're like, screw it. I'm tired. I'm just tired. Oh my lord. And then I read a book like this and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? I am damaged. Just damaged. No, I played. I played a part. They gave me a part in a movie. We 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 wrapped on. What, last month, Steve, we yeah. were over there. Had to go to Atlanta, and and the role I played was uh, this master sergeant who was retiring after twenty, coming out at forty two, and so I've got to play this part, right? So so they've got marine consultants on set and all this stuff, and I'm like scared because I'm like I I really want it. I don't feel good putting this uniform on, and I don't feel good putting this armor on. I mean, these, this is mm. stuff that this is stuff that. These guys brought, they wore it in battle, and I'm putting it on. I'm putting on their gear, and I'm like, I'm not comfortable doing this, right? And so, and I was like, like just walking on the eggshells asking these guys, now, how would you do this? Like, how would you pick up this sack? Little things like that. And so at the end of it, they were like, you did that just like a Marine. And I was like, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. It really was, yeah. especially for these guys, because I mean they were de- they meant it was going you just to shot be this last done. Month. Yeah, well, my we wrapped my part of it. We wrapped last month, wow. and so it was an honor to do it. Um, I was like, I really need to lose more weight, and they're like, Master Sergeant, after twenty, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> so so it was good though. We had we had uh, we had a blast doing that thing. It was an honor to do it, but it was it was a weird feeling. It's a weird feeling to put that on because I'm, you know, I'm one of these guys that you don't want to get anywhere near some form of stolen valor. But I'm like, if Mark Wahlberg can do it, if he can play Luttrell, then, you know. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. It's it's all relative. We were talking about your experience in animal husbandry or whatever it was, gloving up. Yeah, loving up on the cows. And (laughs) I didn't know anything about horses before I, I, you know bought a ranch in, in Southern California and that's how you make up for 10 deployments to your daughter is horses. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a quarter horses. You just buy them horses, man. You're like, it's all good. Dad. Yeah, You give a girl a pony, man. But I didn't know, I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was lucky to ask those guys like, what do you do with the hay? What do you do with the poop? What do you do with this? Like I, I, how often do you shoot? Like you don't know. And then you can go to YouTube. Like you mm-hmm. can find your show on yep. and Google, what do you what do you feed a horse? And there's some fourteen year old girl telling you how to do everything. Everything. Like, boom. So everything. You remember this badass marine, you know, out of Chicago, but you know, now I bought some property and got some horses, but I don't know what I'm doing. But <laughs> Thank God yeah. for YouTube. Thank we God. live in a we live in a we great age, you. don't we? Love we? You, YouTube. Thank a millennial. Yeah. Thank a millennial. Thank a millennial. Yeah. I'm telling you. I want to punch and kiss Mark Zuckerberg in the mouth. <laughs> it's a love hate. I just I'm telling you what, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate this book, and and, I, and I'm excited to to just dive into this thing because this is, you know, I, I've read enough on the digital platform to say, I oh, mean, I got to read this. I got to get into this book. So everybody else needs to get it too. And this is not this isn't a pamphlet. This is a real book. I mean, there's there's no there's real words in here. This is a lot. Yeah. This is a st- great story right here. Echo in Ramadi. You can get a picture of it. I think we got a graphic we can throw. Does he got any there. pictures in it? There's no no pictures, <laughs> no pictures. Uh, for the Marines in the room. But no uh, pictures. if you and you know, people asked, "Are you going to put pictures in the book?" I said, "No, I need to paint them a picture in words." I like. If that. you want to see pictures of the Marines, you can go to the website at echoandermai.com. But the the story had to be there for me to really, from an artistic standpoint, is like to really paint that picture, describe what these men and women and the families went through. And some of the stories that I had to tell were, were pretty tough. And I've had, I've had plenty of battle hard Marines calling me after a, a plane ride saying, Hey, thanks. You know, a hole for making me cry on a plane next to a total stranger. This lady, I'm like, yeah, whatever, man, break out the Kleenex and, uh, man, keep, keep reading. But yeah, there's yeah. some tough parts in it, but those are the things that had to be told. And 
the real validation for sharing a story like this and, you know, being supported by shows like this and everyone in the radio and podcast and TV community. And we launched on Fox and friends and I love those guys for supporting. Sure. But that's, that's all great uh, to, to make a book become a bestseller. But when I get an email, I'll share this. She gave me her permission. I just received this on social media and she said, my husband died a year ago. Um, we lost him from his wounds that he sustained in Afghanistan. And she said, I just finished your book. And it wasn't until I read your story that I really understood what my husband had gone through because he Mm -hmm. would never talk about it. And after he died, everybody in my family and my friends sent me every single self-help book on grief and getting through this, but none of them mattered. I threw them all away. And it wasn't until I read your book that I really understood and was able to move forward. And I was like sitting at my computer. I was like, man, it's dusty in here. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like another Geico commercial making me cry for some unexplained reason, like just things that set me off. But reading that email um, from, from a total stranger, like that is the most powerful thing. Yeah. And I'm sure you probably get that to, to some degree in your, in your, in your field as well. Like when you help someone that you never, thought you were going to help or, right. or have an impact on it, that is really what it's all about for me. Yeah. It makes it all worth it. It does. Absolutely. It makes going through the yeah. minutiae and the crap. Well worth it. It's it does. The rewards. It really is. I've started keeping a box on my, I keep a little wooden box on my desk at home and I call it my reward box and I'll get letters or I'll get a coin or something. And cause I've got a display of those things, but, but I like to keep, those are the rewards. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy stuff. So well, I got one for you right here. All right. Mine. Another one for your reward. Nice. For the magnificent, <laughs> from the Magnificent <laughs> Bastards. For you. Thank you. I love it. I love it. Steve's That's an like, honor. Yeah, he's got jelly donuts in his reward box backstage. I know, exactly. Like sprinkles. Yeah. Sprinkles. Big old turd with a sprinkle on it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, go get the book, Echo in Ramadi. Scott Husing. Listen, man, thanks for coming on. You're always welcome. Man. And, and let's, anytime you're it. around, this, let's do this thing. Yeah, I'll be. Let's have fun. Back down in September, helping support another Dallas charity, Light Up to Live Foundation, is uh, have me down as a keynote speaker. I think I'm bring Rudy Reyes down Good. there. We can get him in here with you. Come and, on, yeah, we'll plan it out. Yeah, we'll yeah. do it. Candace is on it. Candace will do this thing. Make a note, Candace. Make it. Candice, we'll do it. Yeah, at least she's like a steel trap. Over she's there. amazing. Ow! This kid. Uh, at, at Echo in Ramadi. Find him on Instagram. Check him out. You can find him on Twitter too, if you want to do that. Twitter's a dumpster fire it is it's a dumpster fire i like to stir the pot and make them lick the stick stick. i love it man scott thanks for coming on hey for those of you watching go to watchchat.com find me in a live show somewhere around the country we're moving we're moving all over the place throughout the summer and heading into the fall is going to be a big schedule so come find us at a live show um then uh, of course you can follow me at watch chat on all of the socials and stuff like that and remember to tell your friends to go where podcasts are offered. Listen in to incredible stories like Scott's and many other things that we do here that's just nonsensical. These are the ones that matter. These are the stories that need to be told. So go get Echo in Ramadi and check it out, read it, tell your friends about it. And by the way, if you get bored, go leave us a five-star rating because we don't believe in one-star ratings. You understand what I'm saying? Don't break the streak. I love y'all. God bless you. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.